0: Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com.
1: This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. The midterm election has come and gone, and with it, Nashville as we've known it. After the General Assembly split Nashville into three separate districts, Nashville's longtime representative, Jim Cooper, announced his retirement. And he didn't mince the words. they Republicans,
0: so they've chosen to wreck the Nashville district.
1: Later this hour, Congressman Cooper will join us to answer your questions, reflect on his decades of service, and talk about what's ahead for Tennessee's Democratic Party. But first... It's time for at us. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Nina. So let me hazard a guess. Have people been talking about the election this week?
2: Talking is an understatement. There's <laughs> been so much. And, you know, my personal Twitter account really blew up. And so did the This Is National account. Um, it happened when I pointed out that Governor Bill Lee sat down for an interview with the conservative commentator Bill Ben Shapiro instead of us. I can't repeat some of the tweets I received I, on air. I imagine so. <laughs> but someone who goes by Russell on Twitter wrote saying, quote, Bill Lee's... Co- Constituent base has the answers they need and the leader they want.
1: Well, it didn't seem to matter that Lee refused to answer his constituents' questions on our air or debate his opponent. He was handily reelected on Tuesday.
2: Right. Well, we did interview his opponent, Dr. Jason Martin, last Thursday and heard praise for doing so from a lot of our listeners. After the election on Tuesday, we got a question from John on Instagram. He said, quote, does Democrat Dr. Jason Martin intend to stay in politics and run again after a more well-established candidacy and brand? These one-off runs for office, like Charles Brown in 2014 and President's Senate push in 2018, aren't exactly building momentum for Democrats in Tennessee. And we know, uh, we know more well-public figures fare better, like Haslam and Lee. Here's what Martin said when he conceded the governor's race on Tuesday night.
0: So where do we go from here? The immediate answer, vacation. (laughs) But we must not give up. Every time we take a serious stand in our race, we get one step closer to our goal of turning Tennessee blue.
2: I know that doesn't completely answer John's question, but Martin also said that he... He'll continue to be involved in community meetings and the local Democratic Party. But he didn't say whether he'll consider running again.
1: All right. So also on the topic of the election, we got a tweet from Afton Bain. She tweeted, at This Is Nashville, why are you giving Cooper any airtime during a critical election year when we have competitive races and candidates running, particularly BIPOC candidates that could use the platform?
2: Yes, Um, I know listeners can't exactly see grammar on the air, but that tweet contained six question marks for emphasis.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Afton is uh, talking, of course, about
2: our interview that's coming Mm -hmm. up later in this show with Congressman Jim Cooper. Right. So we totally understand what she's saying about giving BIPOC candidates space on air. That's very important to us. And we pointed out after out to Afton that although we were soliciting listener questions before the election, we are hosting this interview with Cooper after the election. In fact, after this segment, (laughs) the timing will allow us to ask him about the results and the challenges ahead for the leaders of the newly splintered Nashville. What else are our listeners talking about? So last Friday, we had a show dedicated to dive bars. Our panels included Tara Orr and Eric Eric Patton, who both bartend at Dee's Country Cocktail Lounge in Madison. After the show, we received a tweet from a listener named Ben, who wrote, D's a phenomenal neighborhood institution. I love that bar. But it's not a dive bar. He also went on to add that, quote, If you can order any drink more complicated than a a liquor plus a mixer, and the bartender responds with something other than an annoyed grunt, it is not a dive bar. (laughs) So is there a formal definition of a dive bar? Not really. It seems it's defined from everything from a place of ill repute to a bar that just doesn't serve food. But you know what? I think it is definitely more of a vibe than a dictionary definition.
1: Okay. well, since you mentioned definitions, we received some pushback for using the term pregnant people during Tuesday's episode about pregnancy and substance use disorder.
2: So the reason why we did this is that we wanted to point out that we use both terms, pregnant people, and pregnant woman on that episode. And that's because transgender and non-binary people can also give birth. Well, uh,
1: well-respected medical agencies,
2: you know, the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention and the Mayo Clinic, they, they also use the term pregnant people. mm mm-hmm. um, On the flip side of these complaints, we did get some praise for that episode from our former guest, um, Harmony Dengue. She tweeted, Thanks for covering pregnant people and substance use disorder. I literally never thought about people being pregnant with this disorder, too. So glad there's agencies to support. Of course, she's talking about Firefly, the Vanderbilt Medical Center's program dedicated to helping pregnant people and pregnant women deal with this issue. Is there anything else from our listeners? Well... We got an email from Lorena about our Dia de los Muertos episode. First, she thanked us for doing it in the first place. Then she pointed out that I completely, I misspelled Dia de los Muertos in our weekly newsletter by forgetting to put the accent mark on the I. Oh, no. Um, I'll cop to it. This is completely my fault. And it is a good reminder that I need to brush up on my Spanish grammar. But you know what? I'm super glad that my mom, who is a Mexican immigrant, isn't subscribed to our newsletter, because I would have gotten a much deserved earful from her for that grammar mistake.
1: Uh, you know, my husband's a Spanish teacher. I know he would have docked you a point. So there oh. you go. <laughs> <laughs> but you can still pass the class. Thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gagos Cannon, for this roundup. Anna... We'll see you soon, of course, and our listeners know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, Democratic Representative Jim Cooper will join us in studio to reflect on his decades long career representing Nashville in Congress and talk about the gerrymandering that resulted in his retirement. Tweet us your questions for Congressman Cooper at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. About 10, 15 years ago, my job here at Nashville Public Radio included going out to community events when Nashville's congressman was speaking to see what he had to say. A lot of times, Jim Cooper talked about the hot-button issues in the news. But he also talked a lot about gerrymandering. He was calling for reforms to the way that electoral district lines are determined and warning that as long as politicians are the ones drawing the maps, they can be abused in ways that are more about party strategy than public service. Well, fast forward to earlier this year when the district long represented by Cooper, the district that had always included all of Nashville was dramatically redrawn. The Tennessee General Assembly split Nashville into three separate districts. And with that, Cooper decided it was time to move on from Congress. He did not run for re-election on this week's ballot. And then, for the first time since Reconstruction, the Fifth District was won by a Republican. As he wraps up his time in office, Congressman Jim Cooper is here with us now to reflect and to answer your questions. It's not too late to send them in. Tweet us at ThisIsNashville. And Congressman Cooper Thank you for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville.
0: Thank you, Nina. It's always a pleasure.
1: Well, let's start with this week's election. This was the first time in 20 years that you weren't running here in Nashville. That must have felt strange.
0: It actually felt pretty good for me, but I was still terribly disappointed that the Republicans had chopped up Nashville, carved it up like a pizza. That's an injustice to all Nashvilleians, regardless of party. It's an insult to the capital city of our state. It's morally wrong what they did, and they know it. But uh, they got away with it. So for 10 years, we're really going to have to struggle in our area because Nashville's always been an oasis of blue and a sea of red. Uh, It's going to be a long time before, at least at the federal level, we can reclaim that heritage.
1: Well, Republican Andy Ogles won the newly redrawn District 5 seat, and that's a very significant change for the district. How do you see that playing out for constituents?
0: Well, remember, Nashville's chopped into three parts, and the new fifth district, which had comprised all of Nashville, is now just the southern edge of the district, so it's swamped by all the rural counties that Republicans threw in with it, and Andy is from one of those. I've never met him. I think people know actually very little about him. He hid pretty much during most of the general election campaign. I hope he'll be okay, but he seems to have quite an extremist background, even by Republican standards, which says a lot. And Nashvillians are just completely unfamiliar with that. The two other Nashville representatives now will include Mark Green, who's been a colleague of mine for some time from Clarksville, and John Rose also has been in Congress for some time from Cookville. But it's just so sad. It's it's not about Jim Cooper. It's not about me. It's about Nashvilleians, because we need a future in which Nashville can be represented, not just Cookville, Clarksville, and Columbia. And especially if these folks are extremists who really wouldn't even feel comfortable eating in a Nashville restaurant or going to a Nashville bar or working in a Nashville office. Like, that's really bad for our identity. So many companies, so many people have moved to Nashville uh, wanting to come to Nashville. You know, the, these other towns are perfectly nice, but they're not Nashville. So when a company says on their letterhead that they moved here so they can be in one of these other towns, I'll start believing that uh, they should have the voice that they've just grabbed in Congress because uh, they took the microphone, they stole it fair and square, and uh, it's really just sad for Nashvilleians. So it just means we're going to have to work extra hard to reclaim our own political identity and our own political future.
1: Of course, the, the territory you covered is in three districts now, it's specifically in the district that still carries the same number, the fifth district. Uh, Ogles was running against Democrat Heidi Campbell, and you endorsed Campbell back in August. But it seems from there you were a little quiet about the race. Why is that?
0: Well, I did all that Heidi asked me to do. I maxed out to our campaign, gave her the maximum amount of money and certainly endorsed her. And Heidi is a great candidate. She did a great job. But see, I knew from the original redistricting how those counties vote outside of Nashville. And I've represented uh, 29 counties outside of Nashville. I'm good at this. I was born and raised in Shelbyville. So I understand how rural people think. And the old 5th Congressional District, it wasn't just Nashville. It was also Cheatham County and Dixon County. And I hadn't been able to carry those counties for 10 or 20 years. So as soon as you cross the Davidson County line, something happens politically. We're not quite sure what it is. But it's not just in politics, it's environmental groups, so many other groups, they're really strong in Davidson County, but outside of Davidson County, mm, <clears throat> not so much. So we got to work on that because if you want to be a representative for our state, you've got to be able to talk to all Tennesseans, regardless of party. You've got to appeal to their uh, nature and uh, you got to communicate clearly with them. And so many Nashvilleians, we enjoy talking to ourselves, but that's kind of like breathing your own fumes.
1: Did you worry that if you were more vocal that you might have been a liability for, for Campbell well, and the others?
0: I carry with me a 30-plus year voting record, and it's really easy to attack Jim Cooper. Uh, in fact, some people find it fun to attack me. Uh, so uh, it's better to have a fresh face candidate, somebody who doesn't have a long federal voting record like I do, somebody that they don't want my baggage, they don't want my enemies. So it's much better to have a clean start, and that's why I withdrew from the race early within a week or two of the new map being drawn so that a new candidate, a fresh face, could have a chance.
1: The General Assembly approved the congressional redistricting back in January, which really set off some alarm bells. You immediately announced your retirement, as you said, and you didn't mince words. Here's what you told WPLN.
0: The Republicans could not beat me at the polls, so they've chosen to wreck the Nashville district.
1: Obviously, we've gotten to see the impact of that redistricting, really, really in fact, for the first time. So what are your thoughts now after seeing the results of Tuesday's election?
0: Well, I hope that a lot of Nashville groups wake up because, for example, I sent the Nashville Chamber of Commerce a memo three years in advance of the redistricting uh, warning them that this could happen. And they didn't believe me. Up until the final months, they didn't believe me. They said, oh, Republicans, they'll never do that. Well, they did it. And it was so obvious what they were doing. They signaled clearly what their intentions were. They passed a bill a year in advance of the gerrymandering that if there were a legal appeal to it, that the local judge, uh, Chancellor Ellen Hobbs Lyle, who's a Republican and extremely respected, that she could not hear the case. Like They packed her court. They said they would pick other judges to outweigh her vote in our own Nashville court. And they specifically said in the statute, this wasn't in general, they said in redistricting cases, you cannot signal your intentions more blatantly than that. And yet people didn't wake up, including the Nashville Chamber of Commerce, including the folks who represent the companies that chose to move to Nashville or to remain in Nashville, not in these wonderful outlying counties. So when you have uh, corporate voices like that, and remember, we have a a Republican legislature, so those corporate voices are particularly persuasive. You have uh, an open gate so that they can gerrymander Nashville. In the old days, that never would have happened because you had uh, largely family-owned, family-run companies, and they love Nashville. Uh, today, uh, they use Nashville. They don't necessarily love it like uh, native Nashvilleians do.
1: Some do say that you could have run again <laughs> and won, even with the redrawn map. What do you say to those folks?
0: Well, you have more confidence in my abilities than I do, Um I welcome you to come visit the two counties outside of Nashville that I've been trying to carry for 10 or 20 years and failed every single time. I welcome you to live in one of these outlying counties, I welcome you to uh, send your kids to school there, to work there, and then you'll understand more what I'm talking about. For whatever reason, and I think these are wrong reasons, the uh, Democratic brand has not been as popular as it should be in these other counties. You see way too many Let's Go Brandon signs and things like that, and people just seem to enjoy indulging in that sort of uh, hysteria. So I've always been a substantive person, hey, I'm a nerd, I try to focus on the issues, try to do the right thing for the country, and that includes everyone in our country. Because so many people, they're really not Republican, they're really just Fox listeners, and they didn't ever switch the channel. They can't help it. If you listen to that stuff all the time, that's probably what you're going to end up thinking.
1: We've been soliciting questions from the community at thisisnashville.org, and several people wrote in about redistricting. Here's a question we got from our listener, Steve.
0: The new district maps for Tennessee splitting Davidson from its historically single district into three is obviously partisan, but if the opposition were in charge of mapping, it's hard to say they would be any more unbiased and impartial. Uh, with only two major parties in charge of all levels of government, is there a way to draw district maps impartially and unbiased, with neither group wanting to concede control to the other, and realistically, is there a path forward after so much gerrymandering has already occurred for so long? Well, the answer is yes. In fact, I've carried the bills in Congress to have an independent commission to fix this problem. So it's not in the hands of politicians, because the questioner is exactly right, Both parties have a tendency to do this. I'd be the first to admit, as a Democrat, we're generally not as competent and as mean as the Republicans in doing it, because we're not as bold. Like, the idea that Democrats would have written a statute to take away court jurisdiction from a respected local judge, uh, is like, that's way out of bounds. See, there have to be rules. It's like sports. Uh, There are some, you know, you can elbow somebody, maybe in a basketball game, but you can't play outside the lines. And this is uh, something that the Supreme Court, which is itself heavily prejudiced and in, in an unfair way, since Mitch McConnell wouldn't even allow, you know, some justices to be heard, you know, interviewed by senators, you know, for a whole year or more, is it, things have gotten. Politics has basically moved from a contact sport to a blood sport, and this could do serious damage to our democracy for a long time.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm Nina Cardona. We're talking this hour with outgoing Congressman Jim Cooper, longtime representative of the 5th District. Tennessee has consistently ranked in the bottom 10 states for voter turnout over the last decade. And of course, this election was no exception. Turnout was actually down from the last midterm in 2018. And one of our listeners, Justin, wants to know what can be done to change that.
0: Do you think it's possible for what Stacey Abrams has done in Georgia to be done here? Is there any organization in Tennessee that's working on this? Excellent question. And I love Stacey Abrams, and I hope that her wonderful example in Georgia can be transferred to Tennessee. But um, it's easy to wish, it's easy to hope, it's harder to act. And that's what we need. Because starting right now, it's an off year. Uh, we have time to build for the next election. That means not just a good wishes, but a lot of hard mechanics, like where are our voter lists? Where are our voters? And there's a fundamental difference in philosophy now. Some uh, political activists think, oh, all you can do is mobilize your base and find all your base voters. That's great, but some of them are pretty hard to mobilize. So are they really in our base? The old model of trying to persuade independent voters has largely been cast aside. I'm still a believer in that old model. Because I think most people want a a strong, better America. Uh, They want to get along with their neighbors. We all want the same things. Um, You're not born a Democrat or a Republican. So why can't we focus on those issues, set partisanship aside, and try to move the country forward? But uh, the National Democratic Party and the National Republican Party have not invested in those strategies. They've focused almost entirely on turning out the base.
1: Who is positioned to kind of lead that kind of charge in Tennessee?
0: Well, the good news is you don't want to know who that person is quite yet because you don't want an old-timer like me, you want a new fresh face. You, uh, the younger generation needs to step up and take charge. My office, I'm very proud of the local folks who've worked for me here and uh, folks in Washington. I've had the best staff in Washington for 40 years and here in Nashville. We spent a lot of time trying to get young people, high school voters, to register uh, so that they would vote. And guess what? We got thousands and thousands of high school kids to uh, register, and then they didn't end up voting. We did pizza videos, we did pizza parties, we did everything you can think of to get them involved. We had rallies in the lobbies of high schools and things like that, and then they didn't bother to vote. So there's something about young people in general that is not as energetic or not as focused as some uh, seniors who are reliable voters. There's also something about urban areas that don't vote as much as rural areas.
1: Is your party doing a good job of tapping into finding who that next generation is?
0: Well, in politics, you're not called on, you're not tapped on the shoulder. You have to volunteer and you have to hustle and you have to compete and go get it. You know, um, I volunteered and most every successful candidate I know volunteered. So it's not for the faint hearted. You gotta know what you're doing, step up and then win.
1: You gotta also be a place people wanna volunteer.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Nashville is one of the great cities in America. We probably have more talented young people in this city than any city in America. Nashville is the envy of the whole country, so it's not a talent shortage. It's an unwillingness to actually enter the political fray.
1: There were ballot mix-ups this midterm, and we had Republican candidates who wouldn't debate their opponents. Is is this the model we're in for for elections for a while?
0: Well, when they gerrymandered uh, Nashville and couldn't even get the gerrymandering right. That's embarrassing. Uh, But they've done this before. There was a prior election here where everyone in a single precinct voted Republican, not because they wanted to, because they screwed up the software. Uh, These things happen. In general, they're relatively minor problems, but uh, we can't lose focus on the fact that they gerrymandered us. That's like an amputation, and we didn't want the limb severed. Uh, When it comes to candidates not debating, that's generally a a pollster or a consultant question, oh, if you think you're way ahead, you don't have to debate, then why bother? And too many voters don't take that into account because if you didn't debate, maybe you shouldn't be worth my vote. Uh, I want to know what you're for. And a third obligation you didn't mention is both parties need to come up with better candidates so that we can have folks who already have a base, a following. Um, for example, there was an old TV anchor here named Chris Clark. He's probably the, one of the more respected people. Think sure. Think about if he had been a, a candidate. You know, folks like that, they already bring a following. Oftentimes we have some new people who maybe want to build their law practice or something like that or completely unknown before they run. But there are tons of these relatively famous, prominent, capable people out there who are systematically choosing today not to run for office. Cause...
1: Your years of representing Nashville were not your first time in Congress. Back in the 80s, you were actually the youngest member of the House, representing District District. 4, not 5, when it was made to follow in a sort of shape that kind of defied logic a little bit. <laughs> it stretched up to the tri-cities in the far northeast. It sort of curved around at the other end to touch the Alabama state line. Would you say that you benefited from gerrymandering in that circumstance?
0: Absolutely. Uh, what had happened back then was they drew up a district to try to accommodate two people. Uh, one was a state legislator named Tommy Burnett, a Democrat. And the other was senator howard baker's daughter sissy baker so they thought that was a fair gerrymander if it advantaged two candidates who happen to be insiders or have insider ties no one then had heard of jim cooper i was a young lawyer practicing in nashville but i read the article in the paper and i saw a oh, brand new district that gives um, more of a chance than usual when there's no incumbent so now,
1: now, to be fair you are the son of a former governor but he had been governor quite a time He was passed.
0: easily old enough to have been my grandfather. Right. He had last served in office during World War II. It was hard for me to find living people who had met him, Whereas much less remembered him. Baker so was very
1: active in politics at the time. He
0: was the sitting Senate Majority yeah. Leader of the United States Senate, one of the most powerful people in America. So, but politics isn't that hard. You just have to know the rules, study political science in school, know something about economics. and. It's a very doable thing for focused young people who want to do it.
1: How did that kind of district shape, that kind of map that just stretches such a long distance, how did it affect your ability to really get to know your constituents and and to provide services to them?
0: Well, I drove 60,000 miles a year in that long district. Uh, You know, now in a more compact urban district, what I've done, I'm one of two congressmen in America. I've given everyone my cell phone number and people call. And by the way, if you want to call right now, it's 615 714 1719. 615 714 1719.
1: You are still the congressman providing constituent I'm on duty services until January
0: 3rd. Now, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that number after <laughs> <laughs> January 3rd, but that's a great way to be accessible. And see, it doesn't really matter. Um, um, the only thing that really matters is how accessible you want to be to your voters. And I've chosen to always be accessible.
1: All right. Well, we have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Representative Jim Cooper. It's not too late to send in your questions for the congressman. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona and this is Nashville. Jim Cooper had a lot to live up to when he started out as a politician. His father was once the governor of Tennessee. His grandfather served as Speaker of the State House. But after 32 years in Congress, first based out of Shelbyville, then representing Nashville, Cooper has built quite a legacy of his own. And he's with us today to reflect on those years. Congressman Cooper, thanks again for being here.
0: Thank you, Nita. Delighted.
1: 32 years is a long time to spend in Congress. I'd love to go back when you first took office as Nashville's congressman. Tell us about that time.
0: Well, that was 2002. I was happy here in business. I was an investment banker, first with Equitable Securities and then with Brentwood Capital Advisors. I was actually out of state on vacation with my family, and Nashvilleians started calling me up saying Bob Clement had retired or moved on to another uh, race and they wanted somebody with experience. They didn't want a rookie. And I was in my 40s, so why didn't I run for Congressman in Nashville? And I was pretty much done with politics. I'd been out for eight years, really wasn't doing anything political, just happy in business and happy with my family. But I got persuaded to uh, go ahead and try it. And a few months later, I was the Democratic nominee in this district and have been relatively easily reelected ever since.
1: What was your top priority as Nashville's voice in Congress back then?
0: Well, Nashville is a healthcare city, and I think the great uh, failure of Congress has been to get everyone in America health insurance. I'd worked very hard on the Clinton health plan to try to get that passed, and it had a rival plan that was completely bipartisan that could have passed easily, and everyone would have had coverage 20 years ago before Obamacare. With um, uh, the election in 2002, foreign policy issues were foremost then, Iraq and Afghanistan, the war on terror. But there was a real chance when Barack Obama was elected president. And I had one of the first fundraisers in America for Obama. It was here in Nashville. It was really hard to get people to come to that event because they didn't know who he was. That's a good example of the fresh face phenomenon that we all need to be looking for right now. Because there was a guy who was a great president and his health care plan did pass. And the tragedy has been the Tennessee legislature, the same folks who gerrymandered Nashville, won't even allow Obamacare to cover everyone in Tennessee. And not only are we turning down health coverage for hundreds of thousands of people, we're turning down a billion dollars for our health care industry that we shouldn't be turning down.
1: So those priorities, it sounds like they have pretty much stay the same, essentially, through the years. Are there others that have had had to shift as kind of the landscape has shifted?
0: Well, a lot of the nuts and bolts of government people take for granted. For example, President Joe Biden has passed an infrastructure bill that presidents have been, you know, hoping to pass for many decades. Like, that's unbelievable that it takes a long time in America to fix our own roads. And Biden was able to get it done because he actually gets along well with Democrats and Republicans. So, but see, people with infrastructure, that's a real snooze, you know, but we all want better roads and bridges and Internet communication and things like that. But those are $100 billion projects that only Biden so far has been able to actually get accomplished.
1: You've seen a lot of change in Nashville in that time. How do you go about representing a district undergoing such drastic and rapid change and growth and new and people with different ideas coming in and becoming part of your constituency?
0: Well, first, it's a lot of fun to be in one of the hottest cities in the world. Uh, Second, um, I just try to be nice and introduce myself. My office downtown in the public library, one of the most visible congressional offices in America, because the feds just want you to be hidden away in a federal building somewhere and I had a street front presence. I've already given my cell phone number to everybody and did it on the show. You know, what more can I possibly do? I've tried to attend every possible event. That's where you saw me when you were a young reporter. You know, that's what congressmen do and uh, that's what they should do. And I hope that we'll see a lot of Andy Ogles, Mark Green, and John Rose in our community and I hope they explain some of their positions that have actually been quite anti-Nashville for a long time.
1: Well, that actually ties in very nicely to a question that we got for you at thisisnashville.org from Brenda Medlin about how you go about serving your constituents.
2: I have wondered if comments by constituents really make any difference in how a representative votes on an issue. And what is the most effective way to communicate? Email, phone call, letter, or what?
0: Well, the answer is all of the above. Any communication is not only uh, impactful, but it's also um, uh, stored in memory banks. People know. And I want to know who's interested in what issues. What really matters, though, is not just an opinion, but it's an informed opinion. Do you really know what you're talking about? Because 90% of the comments we get are just somebody signing a form letter or adding their voice to an email or something like And that doesn't really mean that you've even read the letter. It just often means that you're angry about something or hopeful about something. And that's fine, but, you know, uh, we don't get to vote on ideas. We get to vote on legislation. And some bills are better written than others. Some bills may have a good title, but actually don't do what the title says. So it takes information. It takes homework.
1: We just got a tweet from Brian Thornton who says he has called your office many times over the years and had you either pick up or call (laughs) him back. (laughs) So you man your own phones, huh?
0: Well, it's great. I say I have the best staff. The volume is so great. Some days you literally get thousands of calls. You know, the phone system melts. uh, That's when there's a hot button issue. But we can generally tell if there's a TV show, say, on Fox, and then we'll get the wave of calls for the next hour.
1: Have you noticed much change in what you hear from constituents?
0: Not really. You know, human beings have been the same since the beginning of time. It's bread and butter issues. It's how do you take care of your family. It's how to cut through red tape with the federal government. And, um, you know, we're happy to do those things because you need an ombudsman. You need somebody who's going to help you steer through government because government has gotten way too darn complicated.
1: We've been talking a little about some of the things you focused on in your time in the House. And Susan Hurd sent us a question with your expertise in mind.
0: You've long been considered an authority on health care, and I'd like to know what you think, without regard to any political obstacles, uh, would be a solution to our accessibility and financing problems in this country. Thank you. Well, there are only 12 states that have refused, like Tennessee, and a couple of them changed their stance of the last election with a public referendum. If we ever put this up for a vote to... and cover all Tennesseans, it would pass overwhelmingly. And the federal government has offered to subsidize that. And we are one of the most dependent states in America on federal subsidies, but we have somehow refused that for healthcare, even during the middle of a pandemic. It's really a self-destructive strategy. And if Republicans with their current political monopoly in Tennessee, or near monopoly, are not behaving better, we're going to lose our industrial advantage because big companies will not want to locate here Their employees won't want to come, and we're going to lose a lot of the most talented people we have in Tennessee who want to live elsewhere, because it's getting a little bit embarrassing. We used to be a moderate state with a proud political tradition. We had folks like Senator Howard Baker, who were respected by people of both parties, who were statesmen, who always tried to do the right thing. Um, But see, even the lesser versions of that, Lamar Alexander and Bob Corker, who more recently left, they couldn't be elected today as Republicans. So the Republican Party has really lost its soul. It's uh, been captured by other folks who are not really Republicans, but Trump supporters and folks like that. And that's really helped destroy the two-party system because the Democratic Party hasn't quite known how to react to that.
1: Now, as, as Democrats go, you're pretty moderate. You're a member of the Blue Dog Coalition, which bills itself as centrist. And as bridge builders, which is kind of what you're talking about, these Republicans historically had been, as polarized as politics is, how much bridge building is actually going on in Congress these days?
0: Well, um, when there are no cameras and when there are no microphones, people actually get along surprisingly well. And one of the places where there are no media is the House gym, And I try to go there a lot and actually try to get along. Now, there are a few exceptions, and I don't want to call them out on the air, but The average regular run-of-the-mill Republican is a pretty approachable, friendly person. Now a lot of them need a lot of help understanding (laughs) how regular folks live, because unfortunately um, the Republican Party has sometimes catered to the biggest money interest in the country, and that's not real America. I'm proud of a few folks at the top who've gotten extremely successful, but we need to represent all Americans, and that's always been my focus. There are ways to do this. If you look at some of the greatest Tennessee governors, there were folks like Ned McWhorter, Phil Bredesen, who really had a superb and bipartisan record. And they're not appreciated as they should be today because being governor is a management position. Being in Congress is more like being in a debating society. And management is what really matters.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm Nina Cardona. We're talking this hour with outgoing Congressman Jim Cooper, longtime representative of the 5th District who is set to retire Republican Andy Ogles will take the seat. We've got a question from Denise, who's lived in your district for a long time, 12 years total. She asks, quote, given your long tenure in Congress, what is your perspective on term limits? 32 years is a very long time to be representing in Congress. I just greatly appreciate your service, but I also think it would have been nice to have a variety of voices represent that seat over time.
0: Well, I think term limits are actually kind of the junk food of campaign reform, We already have term limits every two years if we just get out and vote. You noted at the top of the show that Tennesseans are voting less than people in other states. And guess what? Nashvillians vote less than regular Tennesseans.
1: It is very hard to oust an incumbent, though.
0: Well, it depends on whether you have a good candidate or not, because incumbents are the most vulnerable people in America if you look at their voting record, because it's really easy to criticize a voting record. Now, whether that's an honest criticism or not, you can always make almost any vote look into like you're against motherhood and apple pie. So it, it depends on whether they're quality candidates and it depends on whether you you know already have some visibility in the community and, for example, know how to raise money and things like that. It's easy to blame other people and it's easy to give up from the start. And that's not how successful candidates do it. They are brassy. They're energetic. They get out and hustle. They make people like them. And that's the formula for winning candidacy.
1: Jeff Shearer left us a voice message at thisisnashville.org with a question for you about who are becoming lawmakers these days. Let's listen. Several years ago, you told a group of your constituents that when you entered politics, it was a profession that attracted the top of the class, but that it had become a place where incoming lawmakers were those who were content to get by with a C in school. One of the effects of this change, you noted, was that this newer class of lawmakers were dependent upon lobbyists to explain upcoming bills to them. My question is, has that changed? And if so, for the better or the worse?
0: Well, thank the caller for his good memory and also for, um, um, you know, caring about the future of our country. It's only gotten worse. Politics has always been the profession of C-students but at least you had people of goodwill involved. Today, I'm not so sure about the goodwill requirement. I have some colleagues in Congress, and fortunately there are relatively few of them, are really there to blow the place up. They don't really care. And that is stunning that folks like that could get elected in America. I wonder really who was on the other side of the ballot and whether voters really chose that person or whether basically that's the only name. Because there are many elections, and let's face it, where there's hardly any viable candidate on the ballot, and most voters are they just there trying to weed out the criminals or the misfits or the crazies, and like it shouldn't be it should be like um, often it's a choice of lesser of evils instead of trying to weigh you know, like who's the better angel, and we need more uh, angelic types trying to run, and I don't mean this in the religious sense. I mean people who just want to put the good the welfare of the country first.
1: And. and- are you uh, are you seeing the people who want to blow things up on both, both sides of the aisle?
0: Oh, yeah. And, but don't indulge in the false equivalency argument. Um, there are bad people in both parties. There's a certain number of criminals in both parties. But uh, don't let them define it. And that's one of the media games they play. They'll find one or two objectionable people in either party, and then suddenly they become the icon or spokesperson of that party. That's just totally wrong. People also like to indulge in long-distance hate. I've had more people in Nashville tell me, oh, I hate Trump, or I hate Pelosi, was like, I said, well, have you ever met him? Do you know him? Do you know anything about him? I'm like, what are the kids' names? And it's just wrong to hate somebody long distance if you don't know much about them. Now, it's easy to do, but it's destructive for our country. Many people, by the way, don't even remember the elections that they missed. Uh, we had one of the lowest turnouts this August in the primary in Tennessee history. And I have people who tell me, oh, I vote all the time. I'm a responsible citizen. Well, they don't, uh, we can look up their voting records, you know, and they miss half or more of the votes.
1: You have said that Nashville's business leaders could have done more to prevent the redistricting that splintered our city. Who exactly were you talking about?
0: Well, I don't want to call them out on the IR. I've already mentioned their kind of umbrella organization. Um, And these are not bad people. But they were naive when they came thinking that the Republican legislature was suddenly going to play nice about Nashville. Uh, we have to be wary of what Nashville uh, could risk with the upcoming session of the Republican legislature. because creatures, uh, cities are really um, have very few rights in states. Uh, the Nashville legislature or the Tennessee legislature could abolish Nashville if they wanted to. Now I'm very sensitive about this because my brother John Cooper is the mayor, and I think he's doing a fabulous job. But cities have a lot at risk when they annoy certain state legislators and we've seen this in myriad forms of social legislation and other intrusions. I believe in self-government. Nashville should be able to govern itself without interference from the state legislature. But there have been more and more efforts from the legislature, which by the way happens to meet in our city and it is the capital city, of wanting to essentially take over Nashville. That is wrong. Now, Nashville had been in a bad way financially before, and the state was having to look at our finances. But my brother has completely cleaned that up and to get more credit for it than he does.
1: Looking forward, what could those business leaders who you feel didn't do enough to head off this redistricting, what could they do now?
0: Well, um, state legislative races are remarkably cheap um, you know, congressional races can be multi-million dollar campaigns, but you can win a state legislative race with a budget of twenty or $30,000. I just read of a prominent local company here that spent $100,000 in the final weeks of the campaign, basically to give money to prominent Republicans who didn't need the money. If corporations can write checks like that, why didn't they try to help <laughs> persuade state legislators that they either wanted better people to run or more moderate people to win or people who weren't gonna kill Nashville once they got in the state legislature, but they simply did not do that. They put their corporate interests first, which are generally lower taxes, less regulation, things like that, and I totally get that. I understand that, and lots of times they're right, but they also shouldn't destroy the capital city of the state that they have chosen to locate in, and that's basically what they uh, did, at least by omission, if not commission.
1: Robin Okindo, left us a voice message with a question for you about the future of the Democratic Party in Tennessee.
2: Is there any way for a single citizen to stem the tide that is washing across Tennessee and the country to disenfranchise those of us that do not agree with the conservative agenda? In the past, people tried to convince others they were right and tried to get them to come over to their side. These days, they are simply engineering an end run around us and making sure that what we believe doesn't matter. They will make it so that we have no voice left. And the insidious way they're doing it makes us the proverbial frog in the boiling pot. We don't even realize it's coming until it's already here. Is it too late?
0: Never feel sorry for yourself. Never feel like you're a victim. When I voted in the August primary, there were uh, dozens of open ballot positions for Democratic uh, local executive committee people. No one chose to run. So we were having an election and there were zero candidates, period. By default, you could have won it if you just put your name on the ballot. But people don't want to learn the mechanics. They don't want to go to the meetings. They don't want to figure out, well, how do I get my name on the ballot? So without any opposition, I can win as a local Democratic executive committee person. See, we have that level of laziness and incompetence in our own party. And people are good people, but let's face it, people are busy with their jobs. They're busy with their family. They're busy with lots of things. But they haven't really made the time to learn about the mechanics of politics. Now, I didn't make up these rules. They've been on the books for a long time. But uh, any local activist who wants to, who cares enough and who's smart enough can figure out how to win this system.
1: You know, Tennessee's Democratic Party has not won a statewide office in over a decade. Where does the party go from here?
0: Well, we've got a lot of work to do uh, now. It's, all is not lost. There is hope. Uh, my colleague Steve Cohen from Memphis still is a great Democratic congressman from Tennessee. But um, we used to have a majority of Tennessee congressmen. Of the the nine congresspeople in Tennessee, we used to have five of the nine. Then it went down to two of the nine, and now it's down to one of the nine. Well, that's not good enough. But see, it takes appealing to some of these rural counties because we can't pretend that Nashville, Chattanooga, Knoxville, and Memphis represent the state. We're a big portion of the state, but we have to appeal to rural voters. And they have been misguided because many of the Republican parties are really not good for them at all. They really don't support that, but it's kind of a a culture thing or a peer group pressure thing, and we have to work with the groups that uh, best know how to deal with that, and we have to be familiar with it ourselves, and you can never look down your nose at a rural person. Uh, Rural people have many advantages over city dwellers. In many ways, they're better than we are, so we need to respect that, honor them, and figure out how to get their votes.
1: What can the Democratic Party do with conservative courts poised to give state legislatures even more authority over elections?
0: Well, uh, most judges in America are elected. We need good lawyers because generally you have to be a lawyer to be a judge to run for those offices. And you, guess what? If you work hard enough, you'll probably be elected. Um, now, the Supreme Court is a different thing. Groups like the Federalist Society are insidious. And the founder of the Federalist Society just got a billion-dollar grant from some wealthy uh, donor. So these are um, uh, very difficult things to meet with, but Democrats have billion-dollar donors too. Where are they? Why aren't we building our alternative to the Federalist Society?
1: We got a question from Andrea Lindsay. She writes, quote, We need you to be the face of the Tennessee Democratic Party. Will you approach and advise the current staff of the party on how best to communicate to Democrat and independent voters on messaging and contacting party members or voters so Tennesseans will have a more representative voice in both the state house and U.S. Congress?
0: I am happy to do that. And I've already spent years, in fact, decades trying to persuade new and better candidates to run for all levels of office to try to advise anyone who wants to listen about how politics works. Because I'm happy to do it. I've had the largest intern program of anybody in America in Washington, D.C. I've had over 600 interns. We just had our intern reunion last summer. No one in public life has spent more time with young people trying to encourage them to run. As I mentioned, uh, the uh, voter turnout project that we had for our high school students, no congressional office in America has done that. So, uh, But people have to want to listen, and they have to be willing to learn, and they have to be willing to have high standards,
1: Cornelia Gibson tweeted us this question. Why should black voters stay in Tennessee or consider voting at all? The state is such a polarizing place, and the Democratic Party feels like it's paralyzed to do anything but posture, complain, and watch our state return to pre-Reconstruction culture.
0: Well, uh, forgive me, but uh, that caller must not be familiar with Charlene Oliver, who just got elected to uh, the state legislature as a black Nashvilleian. Must not be familiar with Justin Jones, a black Nashvilleian who just got elected to the state legislature. There are possibilities for other candidates like that. People are just not familiar with the, what's happened. We're not keeping up with the news.
1: But is there support for them to be able to, to move up in the ranks and really well, become see, statewide voices?
0: This isn't something that people are going to hand you on a plate. In politics, you have to compete it and win it. Now, in our state Senate right now, out of 33 total seats, we only have four Democrats because we are having a hard time winning state Senate seats. But um, Charlene Oliver has just done it. Um, In the state uh, House, we're in a much better situation. We have 24% instead of 12%. But uh, we've got to learn how to maneuver. And the most important thing we can do to scare Republicans is to be more popular than they are.
1: Well, I mean, I think the question from this listener is also just about life as a black person in this city, Not, not specifically only about government, but about well, how government can actually make her life better.
0: Well, um, I hate to, you know, um, there, there are many states that are doing a better job than Tennessee right now. So I hate to tell anybody, hey, you got to live in, in our state. I love Tennessee, but we have failed politically for a long time now. Uh, so let's be honest. And uh, Americans have been a mobile society, but um, let's work hard together and we can make this better here.
1: That is Democratic Representative Jim Cooper, who has long represented Nashville in Congress. He's set to retire in a few months. Congressman Cooper, thank you so much for joining us today. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, get ready for some music. We've invited some of our city's talented composers. How did Nashville become such a hub for classical composing? Tune in. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our lead digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This Is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.